right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and to study it and to spend time uh, before you in prayer. We pray that our time together would be honoring to you and that you would be uh, glorified and that we would be drawn closer to you and have a greater desire to um, acknowledge your great works and to praise you and to thank you for uh, all that you have done on our behalf. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, go ahead. Verses one through four, Richard. And then when it gets to your turn, just keep reading. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say unto God, how terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thy enemies submit themselves unto thee. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Oh, bless our God, ye peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O oh God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You lured us into a trap. You placed burdens on our backs. You let man, men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, and you brought us out to abundance. I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows, which my lips have uttered, and my mouth have spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices of fatlings with the incense of rams. I will offer bullocks with goats. Selah. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. All right. So I'm going to pull up my screen. Oops. Hold on. There we go. I'm going to go back to Zoom. I'm going to pull up my screen. There we go. I almost had all the highlighting initially shown. All right. So, um, what are some words or ideas that you see repeated in the passage? Or um, what are the commands? What are we told that we're supposed to do? Make a joyful noise. Okay, make a so joyful Just make a joyful shout to God. Okay, make a joyful shout. Okay. So you have that command right at the very beginning. What else? Praise God. Okay, we're supposed to praise God. Okay. Um, come and see yeah. the works of God. Yeah, come and see the works of God in verse 5. Good. 
His, God's works are called awesome or terrible. Okay, God's works are called awesome. Okay. What are some words that we see repeated or ideas that are um, prevalent in the psalm? It's only mentioned, I think, twice that I see the word come, but it's uh, definitely a command. Yeah, it's a command. Good. Good. Yeah, you have that command in verse 5, and then you're going to have that command once again in verse 16. Okay? That's one of the areas where it's starting a new uh, section, if you will. It's not a main section break, but it is a section starter. Good. What else do we see? Sing. Yeah, sing. Sing is prevalent. Other ideas? All right, I'm going to show Praise you. God. Sorry? Praising God. Okay, praising God. Good. Okay, so this is the first um, the first slide. So make a joyful shout. This is a command. Sing is a command. Make his praise glorious. Say to God. These are all commands. You have this idea of make. It comes up. You have the idea of sing a number of times. And these commands, these, this instruction is for all the earth. Okay. And it's focusing on his works, his power, his name. Okay, and then you have praise. Um, you go to the next one. Come and see the works of God. So we talked about that one. He is awesome in his doing for the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. They were there. Will we will rejoice in him? He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves, okay? So typically the rebellious people think that they are greater than they actually are, and so they exalt themselves. And the psalmist says, do not let them exalt themselves in that way. And then he pauses to meditate. Um, oh, bless the Lord our God. So there's another command. And make the voice of his praise to be heard. Um, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. So he, one of his marvelous works is that he allows us to stay alive and he doesn't move us. And then it's, it's very much focused on who God is. For you, O oh God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You have laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment, okay? So focusing on our trials, our testings, um, and also God's protection in the midst of those, okay? And that's one of the reasons, that's one of the great works of God that should lead us to praise God is that we are tested. He then moves on and he starts a new section. It's interesting um, after this section, you have Selah. See that? Mm -hmm. After the next section, you have Selah. This is a section. Uh, verses 8 and 9 kind of form a 
a section that's like a smaller section within the section than verses 10 through 12, but you don't have Selah again. But it's interesting. I didn't have enough colors to highlight these, but note with me this. Who keeps our soul, our feet, us, 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 our, our, us. Is that plural or singular? Plural. It's plural, yeah. But then you go to the next section, okay? I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered, and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls without with goats. Selah, okay? So there's a definite transition, a diff definite change in thought and in, and in who's talking and whose emotion we're finding now, okay? It goes from plural then to singular here, okay? So there's a section break at verse between verses 12 and verse 13. And then you have the last section. Once again, we have another command. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. Once again, very personal. He's wanting us to come and to hear his own testimony about God's actions, about God's sovereignty in his own life. And the result is, as we hear about God's acts on his behalf, as we hear about God's sovereign works in his life, that we should praise God, that we should um, come to the same conclusion and come to the same action that he does. And where does he do? I cried to him with my mouth, and he has extolled with my, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regarded, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly, God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. Okay. So God has heard, God has acted, and so he is going to sacrifice, okay? That's what he's talking about here. It's interesting. You have it end, blessed be God, and then you have it, um, where'd it go? There's the other bless, okay? So you have the command to bless God, and then the statement that God is blessed, Okay. So this is not a command. Here you have the command, commanded to bless God. And whether or not you do it, this is the fact. God is blessed. Okay. All right. So that is that is the big idea. Or what is the big idea? Praise God for his awesome works. Yeah, praise God for his awesome works, okay? So, uh, God's sovereign works demand our praise and thanksgiving, okay? That's exactly what the psalm is teaching us to do, okay? So, this is the outline, okay? Believers should call the world to praise God's works. So, he begins with numerous commands. What does he want us to do? It's pretty <coughs> obvious from the first couple of verses. He wants us... He wants the world, the whole earth, to proclaim who God is. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. 
I mean, there's not, not too many ways you can interpret that, right? They pretty much um, make it really, really loudly known um, what you think about God. And it should be joyful. That's praise, right? Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Okay? So the world's response is that they should praise God. And what are they praising God for? How awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. What they're praising God for is his sovereignty, right? God's works are awesome, and because of his power, his enemies will submit to him. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Then verses 5 through 7, how should the world respond? The world should respond and see God's work as pointing to his sovereignty. So he continues this idea. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Okay. What is he saying? He's saying, look at the past. What has God done? God has done marvelous acts that point to his sovereignty. He dried, the, he dried up the Red Sea and they walked through and we rejoiced in him. And we will continue to rejoice in him. He rules by his power, not just in the past, but for forever. God is sovereign. And so the world should see this and they should acknowledge God's sovereignty. They should acknowledge that he is powerful. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. So typically, uh, the rebellious look at God and the nations rage, right? Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Okay, they're trying to take over uh, the Christ and take away his position of power and authority. And what, ha what is happening as that happens? God sits in the heavens and he laughs. Why? Because he's going to smash them, right? Okay, and this is the same idea that you're getting in at the end of verse 7. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Why? Because... They're going to be trampled. They're going to lose. God is going to prove himself sovereign. Verses 8 through 9, they should bless God for preserving their life. Oh, bless our God, you people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. It's interesting. Um, sorry. There we go. Um, verses 10 through 12 seem to be more focused on what specifically happens to believers, okay? So um, he now starts to talk about God has tested us, okay? So this is talking about the trials and the difficulties that we go through. And so the believer's unique responsibility is to know your suffering proves, proves you, okay? When you and I are tested by God, we are refined as silver is refined. It proves that we are genuine in our faith. That this isn't just a, a scam or a show or something that we do to impress somebody, but rather God brings the trials, God brings the uh, difficulties, the suffering into our life as a means by which he tests and proves that we are genuine. 
Also, suffering can be very severe. You brought us into the net. It's interesting. God is the one who's bringing about this severe suffering, right? You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. Okay? And then he says, Know that God delivers you through immense suffering. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Okay? And so um, the believer's unique responsibility, okay, in the midst of praising God, I think all the top three ones also are included in your responsibility. You should be praising God. You should be pointing to God's work as, as a means to acknowledge God's sovereignty. Uh, you should acknowledge how God preserves your life. But you can also look at the trials, the difficulties that you and I go through, the suffering that you and I go through. And it's a means by which we can test. And if we're tested, we can prove that our, our faith is genuine and that God is the one who ultimately delivers through the immense suffering. He then moves on, verse 13 through 20 is a definite section break. Um, so you have all the plural pronouns, and now you have very singular pronouns, right? I and my's. And so how is he going to respond? We must praise God for answering through his work. So the, the emphasis is um, he's been going through this trial. The people have been going through this trial that he's talking about in verses 10 through 12 or something similar. And he, the psalmist has individually asked God for deliverance, has asked God for um, help. And we don't know exactly what the problem is. He doesn't tell us. But God has answered. And so God's answering is another one of God's works that he looks at and he says, wow, God answered, God acted. Look at God's work in answering and solving my suffering and solving the problem that I was going through. This is another source of um, praise and thanksgiving. So he says, what is he going to do? Verses 13 through 15. This should be our natural response is to, to thank God and to worship him in response to his answered prayers. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I'll pay my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt offerings of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bowls with goats. Selah. Okay. Then praise points to God's work, which demonstrates his faithful love. Okay. So as you and I are involved in praising God, okay, it provides us with an opportunity to demonstrate God's faithfulness. Okay. So when we get to the, the section of the evening where we talk about praising God, okay, and you say God provided for my family in this way, or God demonstrated his care and compassion in my life in this way, or God allowed me to have an opportunity to discuss this or that with my child, which was a meaningful discussion, or with my spouse, or with a neighbor, when we have those opportunities and we use them to praise God and say, look at how God faithfully cared for me, even if it's not a drastic tragedy or of some form of suffering like he's going through in verses 10 through 12, it provides us with an opportunity to point to God's faithfulness. Okay? 
Praise points to God's works, which demonstrate his faithful, his faithful love. Praise should include personal testimony of God's faithfulness. So in verse 16, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. Okay? You and I should be involved in praising God by providing testimony to what he has done. It's, it's very personal. He's not telling you, come and hear what he's done for us. It's very personal. He wants them to come and to hear what God has done for him individually. Verses 17 through 19 then, harboring sin harbors God's work. And if we're harboring God's work, we're also harboring God's praise or preventing God to be praised. So he says, I cried to him with my mouth, and he has extolled with my tongue, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Why does God answer his prayer? It's because he's not living in some unconfessed sin. And so if you or I are living in some sort of unconfessed sin, we're actually preventing God from receiving the praise and honor and glory and worship that he is deserving. Why? Because he says if he was living in sin, God would not answer. God would not work in his life. Verse 20, blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. God is blessed for his works of love. Okay. God is blessed for his works of love. All right. So application. Um, call for the praise of God includes everyone in all circumstances. So even in the midst of trials, we are called to praise God, even in difficult situations uh, like he talks about. Okay. Everyone in all circumstances are called to praise God. God's sovereign hand has a purpose. It proves you, and it provides a demonstration of God's work. As you and I go through trials, as we go through hard times, those are an opportunity to test you and to prove that you are genuine, and it also provides a demonstration of God's work. God answers your prayers. Praise God for answered prayers, including personal testimony. Harboring sin harbors God's work. And if we're harboring God's work, we're harboring God's praise. God is worthy of all the blessing we could ever sing. Okay? Any questions, further comments? Just had a quick question. You kept on saying harboring sin harbors God's work work and praise um are mm -hmm. you sure you didn't mean to say like harboring sin hinders god's work in his praise what did i say harbor <laughs> i don't remember harboring sin harbors god's work yeah are you sure you're not how does harboring sin harbor god's work shouldn't harboring sin or having sin in your life hinder god's work in his praise it just doesn't make sense the way that you have that sentence phrased. Harboring sin is a noun. Um, so if we are harboring, if we're keeping sin in our life, then it will harbor God's work. 
Does that make sense? No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, it should hinder God's work, not harbor it. Is it harbor a positive? Huh? That, that's the idea that the psalm is communicating. Um, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord okay. will not hear. And God will not answer that prayer. It's very much like the idea of uh, 1 Peter, where it says that, um, or is it 2 Peter? I don't know. Um, where it talks about men who... Um, don't treat their wives right, and if they don't do that, then God doesn't listen to their prayer. I don't know what the passage is. I think it's First Peter. Was it Second Peter? I think it's First. Does that make sense? Could you say that if we keep sin in our heart, that God will keep the answers to our prayer from us? Would that answer it better rather than harbor, harbor? Um, if you want to think about it that way instead, I suppose you can. I don't think I'm wrong, though. I think the idea is that harboring, harboring sin will harbor God's work in the specific area that you're requesting. Because he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And the idea isn't that he just doesn't hear. The idea is he doesn't hear and respond. He doesn't act. Right. So if we're keeping sin and we're refusing to deal with it, then God will keep himself from hearing. And if God doesn't hear, he's not acting. He's harboring himself. He's holding back. He's not acting on your behalf like you want him to. Does that make sense? The holding yeah. back makes sense now. When you say hold back, it makes yeah, that's, sense. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> holding back, holding back your sin or keeping your sin will keep God from working. There you go. <laughs> it was just, it was kind of hard with the harbor, harbor that I was like, wait a minute, what? All right. So, sorry. That's the idea, though. It's okay. We can still be friends. Huh? It's okay. We can still be friends. All right. Good. I'm glad. If you keep your sin, the idea is God keeps himself from acting on your behalf. So don't right. keep your sin. Let go of it. Stop. Don't continue. All right? Any other questions? I'm glad we clarified that because it sounds like I confused a number of you. All right. I don't see any, so I'm going to stop the recording. And